Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. I mean, it's tough. It's going to be tough to digest tonight, um, but but you have to do it, right? Um, we've had to digest several, um, and you got to come out tomorrow and win the series. We've done a great job of, uh, you know, coming to get coming together and continuing to, to play as hard as they can you know situations like this yeah we'll touch some guys up you know I already talked to Diaz on his way in hey keep your head up you know it's uh it's a tough one so yeah it's it's a little tougher than than some others but uh, we'll get through it because we have a resilient bunch in there what is the challenge right now of trying to flush this one you guys have done a good job of it this year but this one is you know, particularly difficult um yes might be the toughest one of the season um you know we had it so you know, quick turnaround tomorrow, um, day game. So we got we got to flush it, and we got to win tomorrow. And that'll bring up Victor Robles as we move on towards about three and a half hours old in this game. Two out, runner at first. Here's the pitch on the way to Robles. Swing a ground ball up the middle, and Rosario gets to it. He'll step on second base for the outs. That ends the ball game. He threw it on to first anyway, but it didn't matter. The out at second, end of the game, and the Mets defeat the Nationals this afternoon. Um, we win and lose as a team, and what we just wanted to do today is just just pick back up and just. I mean, that's we're we're, we've, we're extremely together. Um, we battle, we have each other's back, and I, I think that's been the just been the key for us all year. I mean, we've we've come so far, and we're just going to keep on pushing forward, uh, keep pushing each other in the best way possible, and just keep working. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. We have a, a short edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. As always, you can check me out at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and you can get the show on Apple Podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. A little truncated intro, a shorter edition of the podcast coming to you here on this Thursday, September the 5th, and I thought it was important to come to you before Sunday because I think the last... 48 hours 
were a synopsis of the season about the emotions and anger and all the other things that have come through after that excruciating bad loss on Tuesday night. I'm this probably is the most disappointing four and two road trip maybe ever. And when we and I'm not going to do Mets math because I saw the feedback on Twitter and people like I don't want to hear if they go this and this they can win between 85 and 90 games. I get it. That was never going to be my intention after Tuesday's loss. I also saw other podcasts and other radio shows. And naturally, if they're on every day, you know, this podcast could have changed early yesterday to today. Go on rants and joke about the team and and use therapy sessions. That's not what this is about. You want to go to those podcasts that want to have, you know, goofy fun. You go and you know who they are. And I'm not mocking them. I, I just don't think there's value to that in the long run. There's no there's no value in in turning this into a, a, you know to some kind of something that that it, that it's not. There's no getting around it. The other night that loss against the Nationals was one of the ultimate gut punches. I said that, and I didn't know how they any team could come back from that. Uh, even though baseball is day in and day out, I, I believe there's a carryover. Because they're human beings. These are guys that go to bed. These are guys that have to get up and prepare. And, and at some point, after so many times you get to the top of the mountain and you get kicked back in the ways that they've been kicked back this year, you got to wonder, you know, there are guys eventually going to say, hey, is this worth it? Now, is it the worst loss ever? Come on. I had a bad feeling about that game for some reason, start of the inning. I don't know why. It was a premonition. And I don't have any problems with taking Lugo out because you should have enough in that bullpen to get through six run lead and three outs. I think he stayed with Seawold too long and didn't notice, this is Mickey Calloway, didn't get a feel of what was going on. That's a good offensive team. But that's not what this is about. We're not going to rehash that whole inning. But it's worst loss ever, some of the things I saw. Yeah, this first time that they blew a six-run lead in the ninth inning or later in the history, I get that. But... If you're a New York football Giants fan, you remember the 49ers game in 2003 when they blew, what, 25-point lead in a playoff game? How about Game 5 of the 93 Eastern Conference Finals, Nixon Bulls, when a layup would have won the game? Regular season Mets losses, well, it's it's up there, but I, I would put the Terry Pendleton game in 87 higher. I saw comparisons to the Brian Jordan game in 2001, and you know what? That's Pretty good. Mets were similarly back in the same kind of way. They had some games left against the Braves, so a four or five game deficit was more manageable in some ways, even though it was a week. But the Mets are more in it now than they were at that point in 2001. And maybe the emotions of what went on that year make that loss bigger. But yeah, I could see that. That was, that was actually quite the same. You know, not as big of a deficit, but close. The reason I'm doing this today is because the timing is perfect uh, to really talk about what the last 48 hours has meant for this team and to tie it into what we've been talking about uh, over the last few weeks and not really the podcast the whole season. No guests. This is just my monologue. So you get a truncated version of the podcast. It ties into three things, in my opinion. It First of all, it, it doesn't change anything I've been saying about how I feel about this club. So anything you see with the Rosenthal's and the Onlys and the... And the national writers go, well, I told you so. And this is another reason why I was right six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, A loss in the ninth inning in September, and they can have two, three, four more of these, doesn't change what I feel about 
the team and their ability to compete and win in in the near term and over the next few years. Um, it does also give me an inkling to what and what has happened, what this team is now and in the future. Because I think season starts now. 2020 really starts now, even though you're competing for a playoff spot. And then third, Edwin Diaz has a huge role in all this. And I'll explain why in a minute. Because you guys are ready to throw him off the, off the, the island. Be careful about that. I know after seeing the amount of gut punches this team has, has taken and their response in the win yesterday. This is a resilient team. They had gut punches in L.A., Arizona. I think they had two of them in St. Louis, uh, at home against St. Louis in June. Uh, that was right before the chair-throwing drama that happened. The Philly series uh, on the road. Uh, San Francisco in July. That was right before they went on the great run. That's more than a season's worth of tough, gut-punching losses. And they're still here. They may be on the precipice, in your opinion, of the wild card, but four and a half games with 24 to play, 23 to play, whatever it is at this point, yeah, 23 to play, that's not impossible. It's tough because you got multiple teams in front of you. It's not impossible. And so far, their response has told me they're going to try to win as many games as possible, and they may fall short, and you're probably going to look at a bunch of those bad losses that we talked about earlier, and those are going to be the reasons why they're not in the playoffs. I even said that before this week started. They could have packed it in, and I understand this is their job, and I'm not trying to give them credit for stuff they should be doing, but they could have packed it in after yesterday. The knives are out. Everybody was waiting for a Wheeler clunker. I was looking to see what Wheeler, and Wheeler labeled, but he bent, but he bent, but he didn't break. Uh, at, they wanted to see Annabelle Sanchez shut down the Mets. They were waiting for another bullpen implosion. It didn't happen. Uh, it was a tough game. The Nats are a tough team. You got to give that team credit. That team was 13 games under 500. Now they come home for 17 of their last, what, 23 games. Will the house be packed? Something tells me the enthusiasm might be off due to that loss that sucks some of the life out of the uh, the fan base. Fans have proven to me that they're hungry. They've proven to me that, you know, when the bell rings and, and the team is there, they're going to show up. They're going to pack the house. I wish it was a little less front-running because I think a consistent enthusiasm, I'm not talking about when they're 20 games under 500, but consistent throughout the year, I think would help this team enormously. But I'm not going to complain and quibble about that. I understand the value of time. I understand the value of the entertainment dollar. And there really needs to be a trade-off. If you're not seeing that this team is building a great culture and a great foundation with the big league team, uh, you're missing it because it's there. You know, what does this mean for the future? First of all, I wouldn't count out Mickey Calloway. Uh, I've seen Bobby Valentine teams quit. I saw Davey Johnson teams quit. You guys, a lot of you love Terry Collins. There was two or three of his teams that completely packed it in after deadline deals or season got long and they were short on talent or had similarly tough bullpen implosions. Uh, I didn't see a Terry Collins team uh, really fight like this team. Yeah, 2015, 2016, things did fall into place a certain amount during those years. I'm not trying to take it away from them because they played really well in 15. 16, I feel things fell more into place there. Um, So there's something to be said for that. Um, Everyone talks about building team foundations and infrastructure and analytics and farm systems. And those are obviously important. Tools are important. But really what's important is having the core guys go through the battle, get the scars, uh, 
understand the uniform, learn from those battle scars, and move on. And that's what you have going on here. You don't have a bunch of mercenaries coming in. You got guys who are young, who are, who are if they Mets want them here, are going to be here for at least a couple, two, three, four more years. Uh, I've seen growth from Pete Alonso on this, J.D. Davis, McNeil, Rosario. If you don't think Brandon Nimmo saw his career flash before his eyes this year, you're kidding yourself. He did. I'm sure he did. Uh, every one of these core pitchers, maybe except DeGrom, probably had points this year where they didn't even know if they'd be the same again. People were writing them off. And, and they've bounced back for, for the most part. Uh, that matters. Uh, and as much as that loss stunk the other day, uh, I believe if I'm running this team, if I'm the manager, if I'm the GM, I'm saying to myself, how can we turn this into a building situation and learn and grow from it? And that's not being Pollyage. That's life. That's anything you do in life. That's not me being some kind of corny, fake motiv- motivational speaker. Now, Callaway blew the commentary. You heard some of them. Uh, and st- he came across kind of simple and Pollyannish, and, and that's how he struggles with the media. Now, he said some of this about moving on and we're professionals, we have to play. And I'm sure he said it differently to the club behind closed doors. But if I, I was the manager and I was manage- and, I, and I faced the media the night before and then the morning after because it was like basically two press conferences in, in less than maybe 12 hours, I would say, hey, uh, these guys are pros. They have to move on. It's their job. This is a brutally tough loss. Uh, but this is a, a chance for us to learn and grow. It's a chance for us to show you guys the kind of uh, foundation we're building. I expect them to move on. I expect them to be tough. Uh, I expect them to learn and grow from this because that's what we're trying to build here. I, I probably think he went and said more of that to the club than he did to the media. But he doesn't. And he doesn't really have to. It's not his job to motivate the media or you, the fan. Uh, But what you say in this town to the media matters, like it or not. And that's why he struggles uh, with them. And that's a big part. And I've said that about a manager coming here and being successful. That's a different conversation. So, you know, that to me is, is, is part of it. Now, winning the rest of this year, regardless of whether or not they're mathematically significant, matters. I said that for a while. Uh, 2020 starts now. Uh, 2019 could still yield a playoff spot, but 2020 starts now. Because you have to see, you know, are these guys really growing? Are these guys part of the solution? And that's where this all comes together. Because Edwin Diaz, who you probably all want to throw off the island. You want to you, you know, you're looking at him like you looked at Mel Rojas and sometimes how you looked at John Franco and Armando Benitez and so on. I mean, you may be looking at him worse than you looked at Frank Francisco, and that might be an extreme case, but I know what some of you are thinking. This team has a core offense, I think, now. I didn't think so coming into the season, but these guys have proven a lot to me. Uh, even if Zach Wheeler leaves and they replace him, uh, with someone with less dynamic stuff, but gets the job done in the five hole. They have outstanding starting pitching. They have Wheeler even better. Those are two really important pieces, uh, critical pieces to competing and contending. And what is shaping up as a very challenging division? Braves are good. They've proven to me that they're not fla- uh, flesh in the pan. I, I wasn't sold on them. 
The Nats are exponentially better without Bryce Harper. That's going to be the best turndown deal that the Nats are ever going to get. You know, Soto's a better player. And, and we'll see what they do at Rendon, but I have a feeling they're going to be in the mix. I'm not a big fan of Philly. Actually, I was more bullish on Philly than Atlanta. I know Philly, to me, is still, still trying to find themselves, but they're going to be a plucky team. And then who the hell knows what's going on with Miami. This is going to be a tough, tough, tough division. Uh, so they they are built to compete in this division. And, and with two wild cards, you could make the playoffs, but you're competing with a lot of teams in your own division, which is a good thing. But it also means that you're going to have to fight every night and your road's going to be harder than the Cubs and the Reds and the Cardinals and the Dodgers and, and if San Diego, Colorado improve and things like that. So that's, that's something to be, you know, this is the American League. We have a, a third of the league just throwing the games in and selling everybody on a rebuild. A bullpen can destroy a season. It probably destroyed 2019. And this bullpen is a mess, and I got to tell you, I don't think it's easily fixed. It's not. You want to start with the bad job? That starts with Alderson's people, because unlike the Yankees, this is where the Yankees have done a really, really good job. The Mets haven't taken any live arms or failed starters and developed them into good relievers, good middle relievers. I'm not asking for elite closers, good middle relievers. And now you're looking at a bullpen with Familia struggling. You know, Justin Wilson's okay. Uh, Seawold, every time I think Seawold is turning into corner, he has what you know, one of these outings that you know you just shake your head. And Lugo to me is outstanding, but again, if his back to back abilities are compromised, and I understand he's got the partial tear, you have to consider after the season. Is he better as the fifth starter? Is he your fifth starter to replace Zach Wheeler? And then you go out and you spend that money rather than bringing in a so-so fifth starter on a bullpen arm. Problem is, you look at the free agent list, there's not a hell of a lot out there. And you could criticize Brody for Familia, but I wanted David Robertson last offseason. How would that have worked out? It probably would have worked out better because he wouldn't have blown any games because he never would have been on the field. And you want to buy a bullpen? You want to criticize the ownership t- uh, group? Well, how did that work out for Colorado a couple of years ago with Wade Davis and Jake McGee? Brian Shaw is a mess. Yeah, it's Colorado. I, there's differences there with the environment. But that didn't work out. So the point is you need Diaz. You want to boo him off? You want to throw him away? You hate him now? He was the the... The collateral damage to Tuesday night, and he's been bad. And some of those tough losses, or actually almost all of those tough losses, involved a meltdown of his of some sorts. So yeah, I get it. He's been bad. But his stuff is great. And it's inconsistent from pitch to pitch sometimes, but it's great. I go back. I know someone very well that's out on the West Coast that has scouted, is scouting, and extensively has scouted that part of the country and knows about Diaz pretty well is pretty familiar with them and he continued to tell me the same thing he's got complicated mechanics they get out of sorts and when they get out of sorts it's hard to get them back this is he even told me this is some conversation that was happening even during the times when he was dominant with Seattle and is you know I'm assuming that and I believe that to be the big part of it is this mental well, that's obviously the conversation that's going to happen here in this town. 
He can't handle New York. I think it was Edwin Encarnacion said how Diaz has got a lot of you know distractions here. That's true. You want to beat up this asset and want him gone? Uh, it's just going to exacerbate the problem because it's you're going to be going into next year and we're going to be having this conversation again because change the name Familia or Wilson or Diaz or Seawold whatever the name is, and put in XYZ veteran, XYZ up-and-coming arm, and it's the same thing. And then you're going to be mad at ownership. Well, they're not spending money. And you're going to be mad at Brody, and you're going to be mad that the season went down the toilet. And you know what? At some point, even the most resilient team, they start to burn out from all these losses. I understand the day-in and day-out compartmentalizing of baseball. That's why a resilient team is resilient. They're able to do that. It becomes hard. And I think it really really destroys the fan base. I mean, that's who gets the worst of it. You want to forget Kelnick and Dunn? Well, you know, Diaz gets traded for 50 cents on the dollar, uh, and he goes and does what he, I think he still can do somewhere else. The media media will be like, I told you so. He was always good. The Mets just did not... That did not use him properly. Well, they'll, they'll go on the spiel about analytics. Well, the Mets don't have enough analytics. But we'll get to that another day. But if you don't think the Mets have enough analytics, subscribe to The Athletic and see how they use analytics to help Ahmed Rosario. This bullpen failure is as much on the eight years of Alderson as it is on Brody right now. The fact that this organization cannot get one out of the bachelors, the negosex, the handholds, on and on and on, Seawold, whatever. One reliever to come in and have an impact where they can be trusted uh, with anything less than a six-run lead. And, and at this point, you don't know if you can. Or they could emerge as a value in the middle of a bullpen. Again, I go back to the Yankees who traded one of those arms for Luke Voigt. Think about it. Gallegos, who's with St. Louis, would be one of the you know, jewels of this Mets bullpen at this point. They haven't had a, a failed starter. That was what that's what Edwin Diaz is. He's a failed starter that became a reliever. You see that all the time. I mean, you know, uh, Steve Bedrosian, another guy. You know, a guy who you know couldn't start anymore. Uh, you know, who else? Uh, you look at um, you know, not Kimbrel. Kimbrel was a was a reliever, but you know, you get my point. There's a you know, you go in through the history. A lot of closers are failed starters. Bobby Parnell started a little bit. Um, so if you if you get fifty cents on the dollar with with Diaz, it's just going to exacerbate the problem. And now your twenty twenty, which I think is promising, will still be promising, but will be in jeopardy because a major component that is a fixable component. I don't even think it takes a lot of money, uh, is now going to cripple them a second year in a row. Finding elite hitters is hard. Uh, paying and uh, Finding, developing, and paying for elite starters may be even harder. Bullpen's going to undo all that. It's criminal. And that's why when you have an arm like this guy is, and what this guy has been, and what he can do, you find a way to fix that. Personally, I put him right back in the sauce this weekend against Philadelphia. I wouldn't hold back. I wouldn't hide him. I'm going to be, be very curious how Callaway handles this because he's going to get booed. And you guys, and this is where I'll criticize the fans, you guys, in a way, 
want him out of here because you hate him so much that when he comes in, you're going to put as much negative energy towards him to test him and hope that he fails. So if I'm if I'm the manager, I'm having that conversation like, hey, these guys, you know, and, and I don't want to scare the guy, but you got to tell him this is what you're faced with. And I don't care if it's a six-run lead, a 10-run lead. I don't care if it's 10 to nothing. He comes in and gives up a run and they win 10 to one. The fans are going to be ticked off. I see this now. And if that's how this is going to go down and this is what you want to do to have the self-fulfilling prophecy of failure to Ed Whitson this guy, then I'm telling you, next year becomes complicated. And you don't rebuild and raise and rebuild over a bullpen that's flawed. That you don't do. But to allow probably one of the more talented assets, not only in that bullpen, but around baseball, the kind of arm that I wish they could develop cheaply like the Mariners did, is foolish. And if it's up to the Mets, it's up to Regan, Callaway, whatever, you know, Accardo, uh, with the, you know, the pitching strategist to figure out, is he tipping pitches? How do you get the mechanics back? Is it the ball? I know the ball is, is different. I've talked to enough people who have felt the ball. I haven't felt the difference in balls. But you go to double A, single A, you go to as soon as you hit triple A, the ball's different. So Manfred can say all he wants and deny all he wants and do any lawyerly talk he wants. They did something with the ball, whether it's intentional or it was a mistake or it was a cost-cutting move or it's resources. I don't know. I don't care. I'm not going to spend 20 minutes talking about it. It's different. And that could be impacting the guy. Since the guy is going to change his slider grip to be like DeGrom, which is a good thing when you learn from Jacob DeGrom, there's got to be something wrong with that ball. Or not wrong, different with that ball. But the key here is Edwin Diaz. All this other stuff that comes out of this, this horrible loss, this gut punch loss, the day after win, is positive actually, in the sense where you can learn and grow and build from that. But if you don't fix this bullpen, and you don't fix this guy, and I think it starts with Diaz because it's going to be hard to rebuild this bullpen with any kind of certainty. Familia's got a, a, a spur in his arm. You know, Familia's a, a, a synopsis of what the risks are going into free agency and getting the best. You get the best closer to set up possible. You all want Craig Kimbrell? You saw him here in, in, in a week ago. He's a shaky guy. You, you think he would be any, you know, you think he'd come in with a couple of runners on and nobody out and be locked down? Walk two guys. You make your, you make your heart skip a beat. Even the Yankees before Rivera had Wetland, who was no guarantee. It's hard to get guarantees in the bullpen. And part of it may be Rivera and what he did here for, what, almost 20 years. But that's why this guy needs to be procured. Not just because of Jared Kelnick and Dunn. Because it's important for this team in 2020. And that's where he plays in. It's not about yelling about him, complaining about him, joking about him, comparing him to Benitez. All the nonsense you saw going on uh, on Twitter, other podcasts, radio shows, irrational rants. That's not what this is about. This is about taking a step back and finding solutions and being honest about where this team is and going forward. And if that honesty includes... You better find a way to fix Edwin Diaz, unless he's unfixable. Unless they figure out at this point in the next month or this offseason in their evaluations that he's unfixable, mentally or physically or both, which I find it hard to believe. Hard to believe that that's the case. They better make a way to figure out how 2020 could be better because it's been bad for this guy all the way back to spring training. 
I didn't make a big deal about it in spring training. And I remember we had, I think it was with Michael Mayer, our buddy from Metsmorized Online. I said, he's struggling. How's this stuff? Stuff is good. That's what everyone's been saying. Stuff is good. Well, how does that good stuff translate to results? Because in the end, process is important and process rules. But the outcome's got to be there or else it's when you start saying, is the stuff as good as we think? Is the process good? Because at some point, the results have to be there. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in for this special edition short of the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, you can get the show all the time over at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Enjoy the slate of games this week, and we'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast very soon. Be well, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.